Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Acts chapter number 18 and verse number 12. I want to read just a few verses of scripture. Starting in verse 12, the Bible says, And when Galileo was deputy of Acacia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. When Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sothenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of those things. I'm going to stop there for a reading. We'll endeavor to get through this whole chapter here tonight. But I want to talk to you this evening on this. Aspects of God. There are about five different aspects of God. The closing of this chapter and the remaining verses of this chapter I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the timing of God. I want to talk to you about the knowledge of God. The strategy of God. The glory of God and the way of God here this evening. Aspects of God. Can we one more time, if you'll help me, we can just lift our voice and ask God to touch us afresh and anew with and by his word. God, I come to you tonight and I need a fresh touch. I need a fresh touch. I need, Lord, your word to be applied in my life anew today. God, yesterday is gone. This is a new day. This is another Wednesday, and I need a new touch, Lord, in my life with your word where I can see where it's applicable, Lord, for me and, God, this church family. I pray, oh, God, this evening that you're able to open our minds, God, to your word once again. Give us understanding, God, of your word. We'll not fail to thank you for it. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. When we left Paul last week, he was receiving encouragement in essence. He was receiving encouragement from the Lord to just continue doing what he had been doing. And there were three primary reasons for him to continue and to do what he had done. And if you'll remember, the Lord gave him these three reasons. They were this. For one, Paul, number one, I am with you. So that's one reason why you need to continue. You're not doing this alone. I'm with you. Number two, uh, you're not going to be hurt. If a man even sets his mind to do you evil or harm, you're not going to be hurt. It's not going to be harmful to you. So go on. And lastly, the reason that the Lord gave Paul that he should continue is that there are much people in this city, in the city of Corinth. There are much people within this city that evidently the Lord wanted to reach. And so, Paul, you must stay at the task here in Corinth in order for that to happen. And so first of all tonight I would like to uh, peruse the idea of an aspect of God and that is the timing of God. Bishop has preached about it, oft times said it, that God 
works upstream. Many times God works upstream. We all know faced in our own life that God's timing is very impeccable. God's timing is timely. Many times he shows up right when it's needed. And so to understand then the timing of God in this setting of scripture, will you just review here with me and see that the reassurance that Paul is being given by God at this time is so important and so reassuring, not just because he's been alone, not just because he's been by himself ministering the word of the Lord, but it's reassuring for something that has not even happened yet in his life. God has worked upstream. God has provided encouragement and reasons for him to go on before he even needed to know why he needed to go on. Because the very next thing that's going to happen in Paul's life, unbeknown to him, is that there's going to be the insurrection of the Jews against him. And they're going to take him before the judgment seat of the deputy of that province of Rome and try to accuse him of some things. How reassuring it must be in that moment for Paul to think back upon. God told me to keep doing what I'm doing, and if any man puts a hand to try to hurt me, I will not be hurt. What type of confidence, what type of trust that Paul must have had in that moment knowing that God had already went ahead of him and spoke those things into his life. The Bible says through the prophet Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 24, he says, and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Isaiah 65 is a chapter that concerns a future event that is still yet to take place. It concerns the millennial reign of Christ, more or less. That's evidently still yet, no doubt. Yes, it is, I say confidently, in the future. But it is an aspect of God, nonetheless, that he said there would be a day that before they even called, I will already be answering. But the thing about God is this. God gives us sometimes taste of heaven, taste even of that rain while we're still yet living on this earth here below. We've all said it before. That's just been a little bit of heaven here on earth. We've experienced something, felt something, seen something, whatever it may be, and many times have ascribed to it that that's probably what heaven is going to be like or that's probably like what it's going to be in this instance whenever Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years and there will not be the trouble. So on occasions, God likes to give us a little foretaste, I believe, of future things because in reality, uh, his literal kingdom on earth is still yet to be established someday. But right now, it presently resides inside of you and I. Jesus told them the kingdom is within you. The kingdom is within you. So there are times, I believe, in the life that we live right now that God answers even before we call. That God comes through and, and, and he works ahead of schedule sometimes. I know there's times he works behind schedule according to our estimation. But there's other times that he works ahead of schedule. And he answers even before we call. And he's, he's hearing in the moment that we are speaking. And so Paul, God ordered it and asked Paul, before you ever are taken before the judgment seat, I want you to know that no man shall set thee to any time. 
type of hurt to hurt thee. In other words, Paul, even here in the scripture, before you have an opportunity to defend yourself, I'll bring an indisputable defense in your favor and from an unlikely place because I've already set it up. Paul, my timing is impeccable. Not only is God's timing sure, but also there's another aspect of God, and that is the knowledge of God. They bring Paul before the Roman judgment seat of Gallio, and they are accusing him, the apostle Paul, of persuading men in the city of Corinth and elsewhere, persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. But the question is, what law? Is he persuading men to worship God contrary to the Roman law or according to the Jewish law? I believe they're trying to pose that Paul was trying to persuade men to worship God contrary to the Roman law because they bring him before Galileo who is a deputy of a Roman province and think maybe he will bring the hammer down upon Paul if he's doing something against the Roman law. But... That is indeed not what Paul is doing. He might be causing men and persuading them to worship a little different from the Jewish counterpart. Because worship, just a little side note here, this is about the knowledge of God. Worship is regulated. Our worship is regulated by how much we know about who we worship. The more we know about God, should create a greater awe and influence the degree of our worship. Whenever I learn more about God and I see him high and lifted up on that throne and I know more about of him being creator and I know more about than him humbling himself and coming a man and die, whenever the more I learn about God, it makes me be more in awe, more appreciative, if I could say it like that more appreciative of him or more worshipful, if you will, of him. You know, there's some people in life, the more you get to know them, the more you appreciate who they are as a person because the knowledge you have of them. So your appreciation level of them increases with the more knowledge, probably good knowledge most of the time, when we have no problem with that with God, but the good knowledge that you have of them. So the more we know about God, that influences then our Worship. So when we acquaint ourselves with God, just on a surface level, just have a surface, all I want is just a a surface level knowledge of God, then that will gender in our lives shallow worship to God because we're only worshiping him for who he is and we're only allowing ourselves a certain amount of knowledge of God. This is all I know of God, so I have that type of worship back to that God. But whenever I increase my knowledge about who God is, because that's worship, you worship him for who he is. The more that I learn about God, then that affects my worship. And so Christianity, what Paul was preaching and purporting, Christianity worship was in fact then different from Jewish worship because Christianity had a deeper understanding of God. They believed, amen, as the apostles preached, that that God which was spirit indwelt the man Christ Jesus, and that man was 
the Christ, the Messiah that the Jews were looking for. The Jews were in this mode. Jesus Christ is a man trying to take the place of God. Amen. But Christianity understood differently. They understood Jesus Christ was God that manifested himself in the flesh and that came to be their Messiah. And so here's the equation. The greater the revelation, the deeper the worship. Greater the revelation, the deeper the worship. That's the reason why there should be a little bit of a burden upon people that's been in church longer than the new convert. Because hopefully in your experience uh, of traveling the road for X number of years, you've learned more, you know more about God now than what you did when you were first converted. And since you know more about him, that should provoke inside of you a deeper worship. Because of all that you know about your God. And so there's that aspect of God, the, the knowledge that we have God. Then there is the strategy, the strategy of God. And so here is uh, Gallio, which was the deputy of the Roman province of Achaia here. And Gallio's contemporaries even describe him as being sweet, Gallio. Wouldn't you like to have that? He's so sweet. Sweet Gallio, they labeled him as being affectionate. And that seems to bear true even here in our story because as Paul was preparing for his own defense, which he oftentimes had to go to bat for himself, speak for himself, he's about ready to say something, but the Bible says in the moment that he's doing it, he's almost like cut off or interrupted by, by, by Gallio here. And Gallio begins to speak concerning the matter. And Gallio spoke to these people. That were, were, that were mad at Paul and brought an insurrection about Paul, he says, in essence, I don't think your complaint has anything to do with Roman law. I don't think it has anything to do with Roman law. As a matter of fact, he says, I think you're doing some nitpicking among your own Jewish religion. This, this, this is A, B here. See you later, you know. Uh, this has nothing to do with Roman law. This has everything to do with your own Jewish religion. And, and see, within Rome, there were certain religions that were uh, endorsed, might be a strong word, but endorsed by the state, and uh, Judaism was one of them. It was okay for Jews to practice the religion within the province of Rome. But if there was one that wasn't endorsed, then it wouldn't be allowed. And what the Jews really were trying to do here, they wanted Gallio to see Christianity as another religion that the state could not endorse and therefore would oppose. Amen. But in reality, the Romans only seen Christianity just as a division of Judaism. And so what's important here is that Gallio, this governing entity, went to bat for Paul, amen, rather than Paul having to do it himself. And this has many ripples in the water because usually, even like today, whenever there is a case that happens in the courts of the United States that's unprecedented, that never happened before, whatever is decided on that, that then will be used as a case study for other other things that comes up in the court systems. It's no different now than what it was then. So the way that Gallio would decide on this matter concerning Christianity and how Paul was acting, it would set a precedent. If he said, this is wrong, you need to quit, it would be used for case study anytime that would come up in the other provinces or areas. So this is important. God had a strategy. 
God had a strategy because he caused that man Gallio to, to speak up that governing entity and say, you know what, entity, I really don't think that this has anything to do with Roman law. This is just all among yourself. I'm going to release him. We just need to go on. So now... That in their favor will be used as a case study. When something else comes up like that, they're going to look back and say, well, Gallio over there in the Achaia province said there's no problem with it. Do you understand the implications of that? That is grand. That is grand. That, 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 <laughs> that, that would be like any big deal that you think today that's reached the Supreme Court that was passed. Any item that was negative that has been passed that set the stage then for all the other garbage to come. Had it not been passed, it had been more of a door against it. That's what's happening right here in the book of Acts. And so since here is this, this, this governing entity that's very gracious, amen, very favorable toward Paul, it's going to be hopeful for the future. The Bible states this. This is the strategy of God. Proverbs 16 and 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. God can do it if he will do it. If God wills it, he can do it. He can, look, consider whenever Jacob went back to his hometown and whenever he left, what? His brother Esau hates him, right? His brother Esau wants to kill him. Jacob's been separated from his hometown for many years. He's going back. He's going back with fear. He's going back with anxiety. He doesn't know how his brother's going to receive him. Remember? But God, God has the ability to be strategic in so much that he swayed the heart of Esau, a heart that had been filled with anger, a heart that had been filled with revenge. And whenever they met each other, Esau readily accepts his brother Jacob on his return home rather than killing him because God has strategy, and when a man's ways, Jacob, he went away a scoundrel. He, he left quite a honorary folk, but his years spent away kind of conditioned him. His years away kind of changed him, and when a man's ways please the Lord, he, he can even make his enemies to be at peace with him. And so God can have influence, if he wants to, upon the heart of a Roman governor to minimize the attack on the apostle Paul the Bible says that God holds the very hand of the king in his hand and he can turn it whithersoever that he will God is a strategic God but whenever Gallio responded the way that he did man it caused a breakout of negativity among some of the other Greeks toward Sophanes. Sophanes, the Jewish synagogue uh, ruler here. They beat him up and Gallio just kind of looked the other way and Sophanes is a chief, chief ruler of the synagogue and just a little earlier, remember Crispus Curly? Yeah. You remember Crispus? Crispus was the synagogue leader last week. Well, not literally, but I'm just saying when we studied last week. Amen. Curly, amen, was the synagogue leader the time before this, and now there's Sophanes. Now, I don't know why Crispus was uh, replaced. I don't know if they had an election. He was replaced because of that. I don't know if it's because Crispus believed the message of Paul and his life and his household was changed and he was excommunicated as a result of that. However, if this Sophanes that, that is being beaten is the same Sophanes of 1 Corinthians 1 and 1, Paul later calls him our brother. And what that tells me is that Paul snatched another chief ruler of the synagogue out from other. Not only did he get Crispus cursed, 
thoroughly, but he also got Sophonies as well from the synagogue. They were converted to Christianity. Now, tonight, I'd like to talk to you about an aspect of God, the glory. Everybody say the glory. The glory of God. Verse number 18, if we can pick up our story, Acts 18, 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, you remember them? That's the wife then the husband, now as it's listed. The tent makers along with him, went with him. Having shorn his head in Sincrea, that's a port on the eastern side of Corinth, having shorn his head in Sincrea, for he had a vow. So Paul's about ready to leave. He's going to go to Syria. He's trying to get back. He's trying to get back to a feast at Jerusalem. He's going to go back to his home church, Antioch of Syria, from which he left. And before he leaves, he's at the port of Sincrea. He's going to travel by water. He's going to travel by boat. And before he leaves, the Bible says he shorn his head for he had a vow. Shorn his head because he had a vow. Now, I'm going to slow down here a little bit. Some, many scholars will tell us that perhaps Paul was completing a Nazarite vow. It's the reason why he's shorn his head to keep his vow, as it's described in the Old Testament of Numbers 6. Because typically whenever someone had a Nazarite vow, they were to leave their hair uncut, but at the end of it they would cut their hair, they would burn it as a burnt offering unto the Lord, and they would offer sacrifices in Jerusalem. But the word used in the Hebrew language in Numbers 6 and 18, whenever a Nazarite would shave their head, the word is shave in our English, it means to be bald. I mean like shave. I mean like totally slick. I'm talking about like the top of Mike Penrod's head right now, not the sides, but the top. To be bald. As a matter of fact, the root of that word means to be bare, smooth, or naked. <laughs> you got a naked head, Mike. Amen. But the word shorn in Acts 18, 18 doesn't mean bald or to be naked. It means to cut the hair. Cut short the hair of the head. So what's this vow that Paul is keeping? The word vow in the Greek in Acts 18, 18 means this, a petition to God, to pray to God, or more simply, a prayer. As a matter of fact, this is the exact same Greek word that's used in James 5, 15, where we talk about, it says that the prayer, that word prayer of faith, shall say the exact same word. It's in English here in, in, in Acts 18, 18 as vow. In James 5, 15, it's as prayer. But the meaning is a petition to God, to pray to God, prayer. Now, this is the New Testament. This is, this is after Calvary. This is the book of Acts. There's a lot of ceremonial things that no longer is practiced. It wasn't necessarily the case in the New Testament church to necessarily practice a Nazarite vow that was in the Old Testament of Numbers. This is a ceremonial thing. But... What the Apostle Paul did understand was headship, glory, and honor that he later wrote about in 1 Corinthians 11 when he wrote back to the Corinthian church. Let me state it very simply. Paul got a haircut because he was a praying man and knew that mattered to God. 
Let me go a step further. It's been a long time since we talked about hair around here. But it's not hair that we're really talking about when we talk about that. We're talking about glory. Is this okay? Paul, having his head shorn or his hair cut because he had a vow because he was a praying man. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 4, every man praying or prophesying, having his head, that's his literal, natural head, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. That's his spiritual head, his spiritual head. The Bible tells us in that same chapter that the head of man is Christ. So for a man to pray or prophesy, having his head Covered, which if you look, and I don't have time to go through the whole lesson, okay, but would be long hair on a man would be to dishonor Christ, his spiritual head. Verse 5, but every woman that prayeth or prophesy with her head, that's her literal, natural head, uncovered or cut hair, dishonoreth her head, that's her spiritual head, which the Bible says the woman's spiritual head, you can read it in 1 Corinthians 11, is the man. All right? So for her to have it uncovered is to, dis to, to, to dishonor her head, her, which is man. That is even all that is if she were shaven. When he covered, whenever he covered, when a man covers his literal head, he dishonors his spiritual head, which was Christ. For Paul to go with his head, his hair uncut would be to dishonor the Lord. And here is in part why. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 6. For if the woman be not covered, if she have not, I'm just paraphrasing here, if she have not uncut hair, I'll say it like that because the word long in 1 Corinthians 11 is uncut. If, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. Just let her shave it all off. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Now look at verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. He shouldn't have uncut hair. All right? For as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Now I've explained this before. Do you mind? If, do you all remember it? Some do. Amen. Can you be my man? It's well that you're a male. Come here, please. Sister Tasha, do you mind? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is a male who has his head uncovered because his hair is cut. Doing so, he gives honor to his head, which is Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he, the man, is the image and glory of God. Him being uncovered brings glory to God because he is the image and the glory of God. Now, this woman here, is that all right? <laughs> With her covered head or long hair, since she has that, she honors, she on, you're all not married, I know, but she honors man just in generality. She honors man by having her head covered because the Bible says she is the glory of the man. Here it is. When he's uncovered, it keeps the glory of God 
uncovered. When she's covered, it keeps the glory of man concealed. And God only wants his glory. Hear me? God only wants his glory to show forth. And so with the man uncovered being, being in the glory and the image of God, that just allows the glory of God to shine. And with her being covered, it keeps the glory of man being concealed. But when you get it backwards, or even one without the other, whenever she cuts her hair, man's glory is in competition with the glory of God. Or, let's say that she keeps it covered, and then he covers his, he grows his out. There's no glory of, of God in the picture. There's just the glory of man that's being concealed. There's just, just your void of glory. But what God wants all in all is for him to get through. He said, I will not share my glory with another. And so the apostle Paul understood this. While before he's leaving, he says, I'm going to get me a haircut. He said, well, Brother McGee, that's when you're praying or prophesying. Well, the book of Thessalonians tells us, First or 2 Thessalonians chapter number 5, to, 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 not, to, to pray without ceasing. So we're always in some mode of prayer according to the scripture, the commandment to pray without ceasing. So that means we always, We always got to be conscious about this being covered or uncovered, cut or uncut hair. Because by virtue of doing so, we are directing glory where glory needs to be. And it only happens right whenever it's done the biblical way. You may be seated. Thank you. It's only right when it's done the biblical way. Amen. So summary. Man ought not to cover his natural head. And whenever I say cover, I'm talking about your hair. I'm not talking about a veil. I'm not talking about that. A man ought not to cover his natural head because in doing so, he will bring dishonor to Christ, his spiritual head. And so man ought not to cover his head. In doing so, he is covering the image and the glory of God, which he represents. But a woman, on the other hand, a woman ought not to uncover her natural head because in doing so, she is bringing dishonor to her spiritual head, which is the man. And also, a woman should not uncover her head because in doing so, she is uncovering the glory of man. So God's prescription through Scripture is this. Uncover the image and the glory of God. That's what the man's to do. Uncover the image and the glory of God. But the woman is to cover up the glory of man. And when we do this, God gets all the glory. So this is not a competition about long short. This is a, this is a, this is a subject matter about God getting the glory. I'll go a step further. God gets, God gets the glory when the sexes remain as the sexes was created to be. Because he made them male and female. And whenever you say there's a male and female, you know what he says? God gets glory because that's the way I made them. Amen. 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 And so Paul goes on a trip now. He, he's, he's, he's got his haircut, you know. He's praying male and got his haircut. He's going on a trip just like a man to get a haircut before he goes on a trip. If I'm going to go to a, I'm probably going to have a haircut before conference just because I'm going on a trip, you know. Just like... <laughs> 
Nobody else does that. That's okay. Anyway, but nevertheless, he was traveling from Corinth to Sincrea, that port Sincrea, to Ephesus. He leaves Aquila and Priscilla there. The Bible states he goes from Ephesus to Caesarea. From Caesarea, the Bible says he went up to the church, which we're probably thinking that it's Jerusalem because most times, anytime you describe going to Jerusalem, it's described as going up to Jerusalem. And then he went back to Antioch of Syria from whence he came, from whence he started his journey. And then the Bible says he leaves from there. And that will start, amen, and in verse number seven or in verse number 23, that will start the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey throughout all this area, going back to places he's been before, doing what he's been doing, strengthening the disciples over and over again. Now, look at verse number 24, and we'll read a few verses the rest of the chapter there and I'll make some comments and you can go home. Verse 24, and a certain Jew named Apollos born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue and please note that Apollos just was speaking everything that he knew you can't talk about what you don't know so he spoke only knowing only the baptism of john and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue whom when aquila here they are and priscilla they were left at ephesus had heard they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of god more perfectly and when he was dis dis to pass into Acacia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. The last verse of chapter 18. For he mightily convinced the Jews that publicly, shewing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So we have this new character appear here in the scripture. Apollos. Here are the things that we learn about him in the first verses of 24 and 25. Here's what we learn from those two verses. We learn a lot about this guy, actually, not to have ever heard of him. Apollos is a Jew. He was born at Alexandria, which is in Egypt. He's an eloquent man. He's mighty in the scriptures, which means the law and the prophets and the Psalms, amen, of the Old Testament. He went to Ephesus from Egypt, evidently. He was instructed in the way of God, in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. He had a little, had a little pip to him, you know, a little fireball, kind of fervent in spirit. Maybe he was a bishop. I don't know. He taught the things of the Lord, and he knew only the baptism of John. That's John the Baptist. So I want to talk to you here, this other aspect of God. I want to talk to you about the way of God, the way of God. Because Aquila and Priscilla are at Ephesus, they hear Apollos preaching and teaching, and since they stayed there as Paul journeyed on, they, they, they were uh, exposed to Paul's teaching, and now they've been exposed to Apollos' teaching, so they know from having heard both that something's lacking from Apollos' teaching. They knew that there was something lacking. And for that reason, when the day was said and done, not publicly, but more so privately, they take Apollos aside and the Bible says they expound, or it means they explained. I like this definition that's in the Greek. They exposed the way of God to Apollos. And the reason why I like the word exposed is because it's not something that they're creating, making up. They are just unveiling something that's already there. They expounded, they exposed the way of God to Apollos more perfectly or more accurately or more carefully or more exactly. So Apollos knew the message up to the point of the baptism of John. But what, what Apollos lacked 
He lacked a Calvary. He lacked a death, burial, and resurrection. He lacked the Holy Ghost power of Pentecost. As far as he could go was John's baptism. He couldn't go any further than that. Now, don't get me wrong. They're, they're, John's baptism was great, but it served a time. It served a dispensation, and it served a purpose. John's baptism was prior to the dispensation of grace. John's baptism was before Calvary. Before Calvary. Prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. John's baptism was good. John's baptism was a start. But it's not a good finishing place. Yes, John's baptism, according to the word of God, was immersion by water. That's good. That's good. John's baptism, according to the word of God, he required people to repent and confess their sins before he would baptize them. That's good. We still believe that. All of that's great. And even John told those whom he baptized, though, he gave them a little spoiler alert. He said, there's one that's coming after me. He said, we're doing this right now, but this ain't it. There's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. This isn't everything, boys, but this is a start. Huh? So that's good. So we get the baptism of John. That's great. Uh, one thing, a few things that we can learn concerning baptism. Acts 8 and verse number 12. And I just got a few verses to, to frolic through here. Uh, Acts 8 and verse number 12. But when they believed. Everybody say that. But when they believed. Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Two phrases I want to pluck out of there. But when they believed, they were baptized. There is nothing wrong with saying that baptism isn't an expression of faith. It is. But it don't stop there. See, the problem is when you stop with baptism simply being an expression or confession of faith. It does that, but that's not all it does. See, if you got the baptism of John, that's all you got. An expression of faith. And then a claim to that you've repented. <laughs> That's what Apollos was preaching. But Priscilla and Aquila said, there's more. Because in Acts 10 and verse 43 we read, To him give all the prophets witness that through his, everybody say name, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So yes, baptism is an expression of faith, but... Baptism in his name. Remits sins. And identifies us with Jesus' death. Amen. It, John's baptism, you repent of the sins that you did. Baptism in Jesus' name, not only do you repent of the sins that you did, but that takes away the sins. So going to John's baptism alone, you got, you got confession of the sins you've done, but nothing is done about the sin. But whenever we go a step further, it's in his name, through his name, amen, that we receive remission of sins. And also we identify with his death, Romans 6 and 3, know ye not. Romans 6, 3, know ye not. That so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, 
We're baptized into his death. The baptism of John, they went down in water. There's, we don't have no record. There's any name or anything evoked over them. They're baptized, immersed in water upon the basis that they have repented and confessed their sins. There's nothing evoked. But whenever you get after Calvary, people are being baptized, immersed in water. Yes, absolutely. Have they repented first? Yes. But also there is the invoking of the name of Jesus because it's through the name that the sin is remitted. It's through the name then that we are identifying with the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. For that matter, it's also because of the name is a crucial part. The involvement of the name and baptism it means that there is a crucial part of salvation that's involved when we accompany the name. Acts 4 and 12, we quote it all times, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven, name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The name, amen, is all a part of this must save aspect, amen, of living for the Lord. So the baptism of John doesn't get to that because it didn't require the name. So you see how important this is for Aquila and Priscilla to say, hey, that's a good starting point, but let's ex expose it a little bit more. Let's explain it a little bit more, more accurately, more carefully, more exactly. Amen. Let's get the name involved. <laughs> let's get the name involved and let's tell you that after you come up out of that water you can have the promise of the unveiling of the Holy Ghost as well see this is why in the very next chapter that we study in Acts 19 we have the good old scenario of Paul going to Ephesus and he finds people there that are disciples of John and perhaps even Apollos that's only been baptized according to John's baptism and they were rebaptized. Because, again, that was a good starting point. But that is not, as we could say in modern-day language, the huanchalata. <laughs> that sounds good about that, actually. Bring it up. But that's not the whole enchilada. Amen. Because John's baptism, they went a certain distance, but they would lack identifying with Jesus by it happening in his name. After Calvary, look at it in your Bible. Look at the scriptures. After Calvary, people are baptized in the name. And, I, and I'll be redundant till I die. They are baptized in the name of the one that died for them. We look at it. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 12. Now Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. This church that he had just uh, departed from. Now this I say that every one of you saith I am of Paul and I of Apollos. See, there's Apollos right there in Corinthians. Amen. And I of Cephas, which is Peter, and I of Christ. All right? Different ones heard Paul preach, heard Apollos preach. I am of him, of this. And he asked the question. And I love this verse. I love this verse of Scripture. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye, were ye baptized in the name of Paul? What are you getting at, Paul? I'm getting at you're baptized in the name of the one who was crucified for you. I wasn't crucified for you. Apollos, he's a good guy. He's eloquent. He's fervent in his spirit and all that. And he even taught John's baptism until Quill and Priscilla got a hold of him, bless God. But he wasn't crucified for you. Peter, the great spirit, he wasn't. He said, but Christ, you're baptized in the name of the one who was crucified for you. And there was only one that was ever crucified for us, and that is Jesus Christ. And to be baptized any other way without the name is to have gone a distance, but not going the distance you need to go or the right direction. 
you need to go. Because God has one aspect of God. God has a way. Matter of fact, he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way is more than just a direction. The way is a person. Jesus Christ. So undoubtedly, these would have been some of the things that Aquila and Priscilla would have explained to Apollos. And Apollos evidently incorporated them in his teaching ministry as well. Verse number 27 there. Now that Apollos has been trained by Aquila and Priscilla. He is going to go back to the regions of Acacia. He's going to go back over there. And before he goes, the Ephesians are going to write a letter to the believers throughout Acacia and basically say, you need to receive this man, Apollos, because he's helped those of us even here. He's going to help those who who believe through grace. Notice it didn't say believe through law because that was the problem we've had earlier in Acts, that battle of law and grace, law and grace. Law and grace misunderstands. Is there circumcision? Is there not circumcision? Blah, blah, blah. But he helped those who believed through grace. So around the province of Acacia, Apollos did. Apollos did something that had been very difficult for the apostle Paul to do. And that is, the Bible says there in that last verse, that he was convincing people publicly. He was persuading them by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Everywhere Paul had went, he tried to convince people that Jesus was Christ. And it seems to be that where even Paul had difficulty, Apollos was able to come and do it. Perhaps that's the reason why then later in Corinthians, Paul in speaking, he says, I have planted. Apollos came back and watered but God gave the increase everybody's everybody's ministry your personality in the world your ability to save people everybody's is going to be different and I say different not better everybody's approach different and what where one may be effective one area another one may be effective or where it may take a Paul to go through and break up follow ground and put a seed in the soil, then it might take an Apollos to come through and water the seed that was put in the soil. Amen. But they are all doing kingdom work. If you'll stand with me, there is a way. You can stand with me. There is the way. It's the way. It's the way of God. It's an aspect of God, the way of God. There is a way of God. There's a way of man too, but folks, you don't want to go that way. Right? Proverbs 14 tells us that there is a way that seemeth right unto man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. So I guess we say there are ways, but there is only one way. That's the way of God and what he prescribes in his word. And that's the way that I want to check and bounce back and forth from the scripture to where my feet are to see if they are in the way of the Lord. So again, five things in the last part of chapter 18 here are the aspects of God. The timing of God. Sometimes God works ahead of schedule. He, he brings it before it's needed, but he knew you would need it whenever you got there. And there's the knowledge of God. The more you know about your God, the deeper your worship will be concerning your God. There's the strategy, the strategy of God. God sets everything up in such a way that he knows 
even just as simple with Galileo going to bat for Paul, that that was going to set a precedence. There's the glory of God, the cover, the uncover, male and female, what we do with our hair and who's getting the glory by virtue of what we are doing with our hair and the way of God, the way of God. Amen. We bow our heads here this evening. Father, I come to you tonight. And I'm... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.